I'm so glad you guys are here. It's still Christmas, and Christmas Day was very fun. Did you guys have a nice Christmas? Yeah, some of you did. Raise your hand, so this is gonna be like a group participation thing, all right? So I want you guys to raise your hand if the following are true. Raise your hand if you received a thoughtful gift that you love. Okay, couple, most of you. Raise your hand if you ate a delicious meal. Ate too many sugary treats. Have already recycled or stored your gift wrappings in boxes. Okay, a couple of you. Um, spent time with family or friends you hadn't seen in a while. Okay. Um, watched a Christmas-themed movie or episode. Yeah, all right. Took a nap. Caught a cold. Raise your hand if you spent Christmas Day sucking snot out of your kid's nose. Just me. Okay, that was really, it was not fun. Okay, anyways, the rest of Christmas was fun. <laughs> okay, well, Christmas is still here. There's 12 days from January 25th to January 5th. And so we've got our Advent candles all lit up to remind us of that. And we've got, do you see the, the gold and the white? drapings and stuff to remind us that we are still in this Christmas season. And now there's like snow, so we have more possibilities for celebrating, not just the 25th, but having fun, like going sledding, which seems like the perfect birthday party way to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus. But I don't know about you guys, I'm kind of tired from just Christmas day. And there's so much we do to get ready for it, even when we try really hard to tone it down like good Advent conspiracyers typically do. And uh, there's the decorating, the food prep, the gift prep, the hard work to finish your semester of school or to finish up work before you take time off. You gotta travel, maybe pack, or maybe clean your house to welcome people over. There's so much we do to prepare and, you know, like eating way too much food and then you don't feel well. I don't know if you guys have been there before. And um, so then you hear, it's like the 26th day of December and you hear the hippopotamus song. And then you just go from like still having that Christmas cheer and then you just go crash and you have some big moody feelings about Christmas music and then you just start kind of feeling like some holiday blues, you know, kind of sets in after all that hard work, just like peaks and you come down a little bit. And you still have 11 days of Christmas to celebrate. But we do not have to be that, have that stereotypical cheerleader type energy to celebrate, celebrate Christmas. We can be a little more low key. And sometimes the holidays are really a sad time. Um, they're not always happy. But um, maybe we have, we're celebrating our first Christmas without a loved one, or maybe we're far away from our family from Christmas, or maybe it's your first day living in Colorado, your first full day, and all you have in your apartment are a lawn chair, an air mattress, and an upside down Rubbermaid bin with a small TV on it. <sighs> that was my Christmas five years ago. So, very, hard to be in the Christmas mood and celebrate when you're feeling like that. But um, maybe you're just feeling emotionally exhausted from all the tragedies and pain and suffering going on 
in the world. Maybe there's family or relationship or friendship struggles, but it can be hard to feel the Christmas spirit for Christmas one day, let alone all 12. But the Christmas message is not one of smile and be happy, this is one big party. It's a message of hope that Jesus was born into our world, which is messy, and he is with us in the midst of it. And today our scripture reminds us of that hope, that God has come to us and he is with us and brings redemption and salvation to us. So let's open our Bibles on paper or screen to Matthew chapter two, verses 13 through 23. Sometimes it's titled, The Flight to Egypt. If you aren't able to read yet, you can listen and that will work perfectly well. So our story begins right after the wise men have come to visit Jesus, given him the three gifts, and now they've been on their way. So let's get to reading. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead." Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene, the word of God for the people of God. So there's a show from the 90s BBC about a vicar, and in one of the episodes, they try to make their play, their Christmas play, the best Christmas play ever, and they try to like get like the best kind of hook, you know, like to make it the coolest thing. So they end up doing a live nativity at one of the board members' farm, and things get intense when they cast Mary as a woman who is pregnant, about nine months, and she goes into labor, during the nativity scene where Jesus is born. And um, it's very goofy and heartwarming. But um, one of the guys who gets cast is Herod. Uh, He's not very happy about it. So he says to the vicar that he would like to show the nicer side of Herod. And uh, the vicar says no and called him naughty. And, uh, but then she also tells the cast to improvise in their, their acting. And so there's a lot of silly improvisation 
And one of the ways that they improv is Herod uh, gives out candy to the little kids watching the show. And so there's like little toddlers taking candy from Herod and saying, thank you, Herod. And then this little, it ends with this little boy and this cute little British accent. And he says, I love you, Herod. It's very hilarious. But Herod did not have a nicer side. If he had any candy, he would not share it. And that's pretty terrible, but that's not the worst thing he's ever done. Um, The atrocities that he committed don't even compare to what he did in this story. Um, He was paranoid and fearful, and the idea that even a little baby who could possibly be the king one day threatened him so much that he took this precaution to him, and uh, it was nothing to Herod, but it was everything to the Holy Family, by that I mean Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and everything to their community. Does this situation remind you of any other Bible stories that you may have heard of? Anybody? Moses, yeah. Uh, The Pharaoh um, felt so threatened by the Hebrew people, how many there were, even though they were his slaves, that he threatened the midwives. He gave an order to the midwives, and he said, when you help the Hebrew women deliver their babies, you are not to let any baby boys live but the midwives were pretty fierce, and so were the Hebrew women who gave birth before the midwives could arrive, which is pretty pretty intense. But then the Hebrew people, even after the threat, became so much more numerous that Herod started to panic even more, and he ordered all people that Hebrew baby boys should be thrown into the Nile. Pharaoh and Herod were both so fearful about losing their power, that they committed terrible crimes to keep it from happening, to keep their own power and to keep from losing it. So in that story with Pharaoh, baby Moses is born. And his mom, get this, his mom could hide him for three months. And I wanna know how she did that. Moses clearly did not have colic and was not very stinky, so I'm, I'm I just wanna like get some parenting tips from her. So, um, yeah, so, but after three months, she couldn't do it anymore. So she made a nice little floating basket for her child and put him in the Nile River to float, where uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, watched, kept an eye on her brother while he was in the little basket. And then he saw the Pharaoh's daughter rescue Moses out of the water. And she went up to her and suggested, hey, how about I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby and take care of it for you. And so Moses' mother watched over Moses and nursed him and took care of him until he was old enough, and then he went to live with the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Miriam and her mother and Mary, the mother of Jesus, each did everything that they could to protect a child who would become important in the story of Israel. One baby rescued the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. Not when he was a baby, when he got older. But, and then the other baby grew up and rescued all of humankind, liberating them from sin and death. Jesus was a threat ever since his birth. He was in danger as as a child and all the way up through until he was an adult. He was a threat to the powers for all of his life. His life wasn't easy from the start, 
and then suddenly it got bad at the very end. But he lived his time like that. He was born into a time of violence and fear. N.T. Wright describes it as the shadow of the cross was on him since his birth. Um, And not long after his birth, he and his family, because of this violence, had to leave their home and go flee to Egypt where they would be safe. Jesus was born into darkness. Christmas, the incarnation of God, when Christ was born, is God coming to earth to be with us. Jesus comes to our pain and he knows our pain. He arrived into an imperfect world and was under threat. N.T. Wright says, this is how the Redeemer was to appear, how God would set about liberating his people and bring justice to the whole world. No point in arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point in an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be with us where the pain is. So in our scripture that we read today, Matthew references quite a few quotes, and sometimes it just doesn't seem very obvious what he's trying to say. So we're going to go through those. Some of them are really like unclear. So the first one is in verse 15 when he quotes from Hosea 11.1, which says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now if you read that section of Hosea, you're like, well, wait a second. Matthew, that's not a messianic prophecy. That is him, that's Hosea looking back on what happened in the time of the exodus of Egypt. But for Matthew's audience, who were Jewish Christians, people, and um, it would have been a meaningful side-by-side to, to listen to that. Like, Israel went to Egypt and came back, and Jesus did too. Israel endured testing in the wilderness, and Jesus did too later in his life. But whereas Jesus was perfectly God's servant in the world, the people messed up quite a bit. And we can identify with that problem. We mess up. What humanity could not do, Jesus came to do. Moses was able to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery and rescue them. But he still couldn't do what Jesus did. Jesus is fully divine and fully human, which makes him a little more qualified than Moses to bring full liberation and redemption. And even though our world isn't perfect and we still have what seems like endless tragedies, we can still spot God at work in the world. His kingdom is breaking in and we see it at work. And one day, it will be totally here. There won't be pain, suffering, weeping or mourning. We will only know God's perfect peace. The next quote is in verse 18 of our passage and it's quoted from Jeremiah 31. A voice in her A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So now we're asked to think back to Rachel, who was the wife of Jacob. And Jacob, remember Abraham? Jacob is his grandson. And Jacob is known as Israel also. And his offspring, there were 12 kids, uh, were the 12 tribes of Israel, those kids and their descendants all became. And so you might remember a Veggie Tales show about this where um, 
the youngest one gets, I'm having a severe brain fart, <laughs> Joseph. And he ends up being in prison and all of that, but, and he rescues his family. But that's, Joseph is one of Jacob's son. Too much information. Okay, so Rachel is married to Jacob, and they have two sons together, Benjamin and Ephraim. And she is mourning and weeping over the Israelites being held captive in Babylon. So this is called to our attention after we hear of Herod's evil plot. It causes us to imagine the people who are weeping and mourning as a result of Herod. And I also think of all the people who were weeping and mourning during the time of Moses' birth, too. Both, all those, all three situations are tragic. But when we go back to read Jeremiah 31, that references Rachel, we actually find it's a message of hope. Though they face oppression, captivity, grief, and stuff we can't begin to imagine, God gives them a message that he'll rescue them. So here are a few phrases from the chapter because it's pretty long. I will come to give rest to Israel. I will build you up again. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Your children will return to their own land. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. I will make a new covenant. And that's just some of it. Like that chapter is full of words of hope amidst this tragedy. The Jewish Christian audience of Matthew would likely have heard this reference and not only thought about the lamentation and the grief going on, but also think back to the message of hope present in that Jeremiah passage. And so it would remind them that though there was great suffering in their lives at that moment, God had not abandoned them and that salvation would come. N.T. Wright says, Matthew is hinting that Jesus is bringing deliverance even when it seems hopeless. And now finally, Mary and Joseph get the angelic go-ahead to return back to Israel after the death of Herod. But Herod's son Archelaus is in power, so they decide not to go back to Judea where he reigned, um, but they ended up in Galilee and uh, they made their home there. So they were still in exile to keep Jesus safe, um, but they were a little closer to home. So in Galilee, they stayed in the town of Nazareth. And this is maybe the most confusing reference in this passage. The scholars are thinking what it ref refers to when it says, he will be called a Nazarene. They think that it's referring to Isaiah chapter 11, where it says, a shoot will grow out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And now that doesn't make any sense, right? But the Hebrew word for branch is nazir, and many sources and scholars attribute this to where the name Nazareth comes. Nazir, Nazareth. And um, so when we hear Matthew sharing this, he is showing Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus is the branch who is coming out of the apparently dead line of David. So this baby Jesus, who was born in a manger, not a fancy palace bedroom or anywhere nice, 
was a Messiah who would redeem the world. A king had been born. He was God's salvation and rescue for the world. He was born into our pain and suffering and our mourning and weeping and grief. Jesus is with us in our trouble and he is making all things new. His kingdom is breaking in. It's already here and we can see it happening, but it's not yet fully established. And this reminds me, makes me think back to the Israelites again, when they're in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting to enter the promised land. They're so close, but they have to keep waiting, not yet. And now we find ourselves waiting for a fully realized, 100% downloaded kingdom of God. Waiting stinks, it always stinks, even if you're just waiting for lunchtime or to be dismissed from church. Waiting is hard. And um, there are so many tragic things that we deal with every day or painful things. Um, or things that other people are experiencing that pains us. Like death, starvation, racism, human trafficking and other forms of slavery, violence, refugees running for their lives, addiction, diseases, illness, injury, abuses, loss of friendships, and the list could go on. But the story of Christmas is not just a happy story about the happy birth of baby Jesus with obnoxiously happy music and Christmas lights and decorations, but it is God coming to be with us in our pain and to take on our pain, suffering, and death and redeem it. He comes into our mess to make things new. We see him at work in our world and we join him at work in the world to show others this light in our darkness. The birth of Jesus is a story of hope.